Hey guys, it's your pal Maya back with a new episode of the Gaijin Podcast. Uh, just, just wanted to let you know that this is the first time I have spoken out loud all day today. So, really, really gra- glad that I can speak English. Clearly, grad. Yeah, cool, great. Um, I wanted to thank everyone uh, who made it out for the Celebrating the Asian American LGBTQ Plus event last week that C.B. Lee put on at the Chinese American Museum in uh, L.A. It was so, so amazing. Just such an incredible evening of community and conversation. And I just, I could not be more grateful that we were involved. Like, honestly, it was just so amazing to see a new generation, our generation, of Asian Americans continuing uh, to create intersectional Asian American culture, um, you know, just as those who came before us did. So thank you so much, CB. I, I just can't wait to keep creating spaces like this with you. Um, and also, if you want to contribute to the event and future events, we are selling t-shirts on our web shop uh, that are going to go, the, the proceeds are going to go directly back into the Celebrating the Asian American LGBTQ plus event. Um, and then also, for the rest of this month, if you buy a white Thank You for Seeing Us t-shirt, you'll also get a bonus sticker button pack, and a portion of the proceeds will go towards the event as well. Um, Because we all know everybody loves some butt stuff. As in button stuff. You get it? I just really wanted to double down on that pun. Because I'm really proud of it. Okay! (laughs) Um, As a fun regional update, we have also been hard at work with San Diego Pride and several amazing... Amazing? Amazing... Several amazing Asian community organizers. See, I told you, this is the first time I have opened my mouth all day. It is a struggle. Um, Anyways, uh, we have been working with uh, some amazing Asian community organizers to create a space and community for the San Diego Queer API Plus community, uh, which is going to be inclusive of Pacific Islanders and MENA identities, MENA being Middle Eastern and North African identities. Uh, So keep your eyes on our Instagram uh, for updates on the first event, and we are just truly so excited to be bringing together our San Diego family, um, you know, for, for more community. So back to the podcast. Uh, this week's episode has been literally months in the making in that like every single time we've tried to record it, there have been some technical difficulties. So I guess the third time really is the charm. Uh, I hung out with Crystal B. Wagner, an artist and a co-founder of the Moon Eaters Collective, this amazing zine based in Boston, and we talked about growing up half Asian, how important art and being an artist has been to her identity, and giving our Asian parents more credit. Um, Crystal, I absolutely adore Crystal. And in true form, keeping with my brand, definitely befriended her through some light Instagram stalking. Uh, and I just, I can't stop gushing over her work and the work Moon Eaters is doing out in Boston. Um, they're actually gearing up for a new call for submissions for their zine. So keep your eyes peeled on both the TGP Insta as well as the Moon Eaters Insta, which is at Moon Eaters Collective, uh, for ways to get involved. And 
just we just I yeah I love them so much and they are just creating this amazing space for uh queer API femme voices to be heard and experiences to be shared and just so much art and and beautiful self-expression of identity and experiences and it's amazing and I should probably stop gushing about it because I gush enough about it in this podcast episode anyways um, without further ado, here is the Gaijin Podcast with Crystal B. Wagner. I'm gonna clap. This okay, is yes. like I don't know. Have to sync our audios, and then okay. then you'll see like the sound. Okay, so okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, we can just start applauding ourselves. That's how we start this podcast. Yeah, we've done so much. Absolutely, we deserve an applause. Third time's the charm, right? Like <laughs> we have oh tried gosh. so hard to get this going, and finally, finally. We're here. I think it's really going to happen. Okay. Absolutely. I have faith. I have faith. Um, so I will wait until you take a sip of your tea <laughs> before <laughs> I hound you with questions. Uh, okay. Can you, like, introduce yourself, please? Introduce yourself? Absolutely. I mean, you are the um, star of our Instagram page right now with that amazing Pocky... In front of the Pocky Sticks at H Mart photo <laughs> that Ann took. <laughs> I'm so glad that happened. <laughs> you know, so well. I love those pictures. Ann is amazing. She, um, yeah, it was so great to work with her. Um, and we met at H Mart, and I was like, kind of thinking, like, I want to be photographed hockey sticks um but like waited until like the very end to be like could we take a picture here um so that was really really cool that was awesome awesome. Um, my name is crystal b wegner i am a artist i am an educator um i'm one of the founders of moon eaters which is a zine for api queer femmes um and it's an anthology of artists um and writers um who identify as api femme um and that's those are the main things that i'm doing right now <laughs> a lot of really cool stuff <laughs> the moon scene is really awesome so and you all have been doing a lot of pop-ups in boston recently right so if people want to come like check out the physical copies of the zine and meet with the three of you, Crystal, Eileen, and Lily, the other two founders, um, where like they can just stalk you on Instagram, right? 
Yeah, you can stalk us on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you for setting us up for a plug. Um, yeah, it's at Moon Eaters Collective. Um, you can also email us at the same, the same Moon Eaters Collective at gmail.com. Um, but follow our Instagram. We have like a really nice graphic that Eileen did. Um, and it has all of our dates for markets. We're going to be at the Boston Book Arts Fair. Um, we'll be in Portland, Maine. So we're going all over New England now. <laughs> we're outside I'm of Boston. I'm so excited that you were like Portland, Oregon. And I was like, you're coming to my coast? <laughs> the other one. Oh, the other Portland, yeah. <laughs> we do want to visit you though. <laughs> Absolutely. Please do. Um, we are, yes, please. We just did um, like a black market event. We went to the Power Arts Center for a poetry event last night and that awesome. was really fun. Um, and then, yeah, tabling at those two. I feel like I'm missing some. Well, so how did you get involved with Moon? Like, how did Moon Eaters start for you? Um, I think it, it just started as a conversation between friends. Um, we like had the idea that we wanted to um, create a platform for API artists um, at the intersection of like femme and queer. Um, and there hasn't an, an API and it, there hasn't been a lot. Um, there hasn't, we didn't really find a platform for all of those, those identities um, in one place. Um, so we wanted to create that. We, and we just kind of sourced from our friends. Uh, Oh, Lily had been, I met Lily through the markets. Um, she is a comic book artist and an illustrator. Um, and um, I had also been selling like prints and things like that at local markets. Um, so we met, um, so I knew her as one of my really, my, my really talented friends that I wanted to collaborate with. Eileen, um, the community, like the creative community in Boston is really small. Um, so we also started chatting, um, about this idea. Um, so we met over coffee and just started brainstorming about how we could do a call for submissions. And I think if we didn't receive any submissions, like it, the idea would have, or if we never, like we, if we never reached out to folks, but there was so much momentum, we received so many submissions just, just from mining from our personal connections, um, that we felt like like we were and we were so excited about the submissions too like the artwork was so good and so diverse it was writing it was visual art we had performance art in there as well like we were able to like the person um had photos of their performance piece a link to the website like we were able to make a lot of different diverse um art forms work in that space in in the space of printed media um through a zine so that felt really good and it felt really accessible um I'm currently, or yeah, I'm currently going to MassArt. Um, so I had, I think like the catalyst was really like, I have a lot of printing credit and I want to be able to use the printing credit um, in my school. So uh, we, we kind of created that through, through just wanting to like not waste like, I think there's a date that you have to spend your printing credit by. And I was like, I don't want to waste this. What can, what yeah. can we do so that we can print as much as possible um, for pretty cheap, too? Um, and we came up with the idea of a zine. Um, yeah. So I think that's, it was really just a conversation. And it's so new. We're like such babies. Like, we t started talking about it in March. 
and then did a call for submissions in the spring. And then we released, because we got so many, we did two zines and divided the content into a color version and a black and white version. Um, and Both of them are like sitting next to my bed. They're on my nightstand <laughs> right now. <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> I like go to bed every night and I see the two, like they're gorgeous as like, the content is really awesome. But what I love so much about them is that they're like really great like table pieces too. So like they stand, like the covers on their own are just like really fun kind of like pieces of art that you can just put out, which I love. <laughs> that makes me so happy. That makes me so and I happy. And I get to go to bed and look at like this amazing content that queer API femmes have created, which is always like such a fun, like warm, fuzzy feeling because it's, you are all like, you know, like we're all trying to create this community for ourselves. And so even though you're out in Boston, it's like, oh, look, like a reminder that the community exists. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh, that makes me so <laughs> Yeah, that's incredible. I think that, like, yeah, it's it's just so cool that, like, you 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 guys, like, came together and you created this thing. I think that's kind of similar to how the Gaijin Project started. It was just like, we should just make this thing. And I think both the Gaijin Project and Moon Eaters are about the same age, because it started, like, around March, April. So we're also in our infancy. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's so like we just rode the wave of summer pride, I guess, for both of us. Gosh, we should have a joint birthday party. Good. One year, we could like, do that it. That would be so much fun. That would be an amazing. Can you imagine the food? Oh, <gasps> wait. Oh my god. Can you imagine just like a, the Asian diaspora, but like in sweets. That would just <laughs> be the entire party. That's like all I would ever want. Oh we would my get God. Yeah. In like one day too. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. But then we didn't. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. My favorite thing about, well, I have a lot of things about being Asian that are my favorite, but I love how like our cultures are all huge ass sluts for desserts. Like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> like, I was talking to a friend the other day um, about it was just like this was totally tongue in cheek. This is not the reason why I'm a Hindu, <laughs> but it is a perk. <laughs> um, so many of our festivals and like blessings and offerings to the gods and everything involves sweets. So it's like if I were to become like a fully devout Hindu and just like went to the temple every day and like participated in every day, I would be only eating like fruits, nuts, and then like ladus, which are just like basically sugar and some sort of I don't even know what a ladu is made out of it's just delicious but it's a lot of like sugar and just <laughs> I, love <that. laughs> I love thinking about I'm sure this isn't how it happened but as like a marketing strategy like the creators of Hinduism possibly they were like yeah. how are we gonna get people to our church to believe in this god yeah, exactly we gotta have the best <laughs> I love thinking about like religion as like marketing strategy, like the marketing strategies behind religion. Cause it's like Hinduism and Buddhism, like are ancient, like straight right. 
religions and just to like imagine a bunch of like Indian dudes and like South Asian dudes sitting around a table and being like hmm like I really think that we're not appealing to the right market right now so like they have like bar graphs and like data charts yeah database charts Uh, Crystal, how do you, I, what kind of Asian are you? I don't think that's like the proper way to ask somebody what they are. okay, because it's like, coming from you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> My mother's from Taiwan. My father is from Iowa and he's white. Um, so I'm half Asian. Um, I think, uh, I think I like, like to ask a lot of other half Asians about their identity and how because I think it's so different for every, it's it's so unique to every person that's half Asian. Um, I think my situation, like I didn't I didn't grow up with my father. He he left when I was seven, um, and my stepfather is Chinese but American born. Chi- well, actually no, he's not American born Chinese. Sorry, but he <laughs> is from the Bronx, and he like he was technically born in China, but um, he's lived in the U.S. for longer than my mother. Um, so raised by Chinese folks. <laughs> oh, that's so, how, how did that impact you, like, growing up, like, in terms of figuring out your identity? Yeah, um, in ways that I'm only just realizing now, I feel like now that yeah. you're in your, I don't know, late 20s, you start, I mean, I, I'm sure people figure it out. So I'm just really slow. People should figure it out earlier. <laughs> um, and that was actually a huge reason for Moon Eaters. We wanted to create community um, with other API folks um, and other API artists. Uh, and that was really, really important to us. Um, the community is really small um, or there aren't a lot of places where we can physically meet each other. Um, there are a few in Boston, like East Meets Words is one, um, but, and there are, there are, like, other, um, like, groups that are doing stuff, like, Angry Asian Girls and things like that, that are creating spaces for community and doing a lot more of that now, um, but it was interesting for us to create a community just through a printed scene, and then, and then when we had the release party to see all of the contributors in one place, um, was really wonderful. It just felt like you felt not alone. It felt really, really, really nice in that way. Um, so I think I think moving into exploring more, um, really valuing community, really valuing that identity. Um, I think I think because um, because I I was half Asian and. Also, the relationship with my parents wasn't great when I was a high schooler. Um, so, so I had I had a hard time. Um, there were there was a lot of tension between me and my mother, and I think a lot of it I thought um, I thought a lot of our tension stemmed from the fact that I was half and I wasn't good enough. Like I wasn't I wasn't Asian enough for her, <laughs> um, which is insane. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? What does Asian yeah. enough mean? Yeah. Um, and for me, like, as a teenager, I, I, like, internalized it as I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't thin enough, and I wasn't, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't good at, like, my grades weren't good enough. Um, and all of the things that were my identity, I felt like those were in, in conflict with 
um, with my Asian American identity um, or with, with my parents' culture. Um, so feeling like, like being queer, I felt like that was something that was, was, was something that could never be compatible with an Asian American identity or being an artist. I thought that that wasn't compatible with being Asian American. So there was, um, and this is in the Instagram too, <laughs> but when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about how um, I used to just draw this line within myself where one side of me was Asian American and one side of me was, was something else and or it was white the white side of me or the American side um or like white I don't know I don't even know <laughs> like the grew up, like grew up in America um and then I'm feeling like those those two sides of myself were always in conflict um or I don't know like I couldn't be everything at once yeah um, even, yeah that's I always think about that um, for myself because I can totally relate to the idea of being not Asian and like not feeling Asian enough um, right. in the sense of being like Asian American uh, because I think though I'm not half Asian it being Asian American sometimes feels like I'm not of what you know like I, I don't know where my culture is where it's like on the one hand I feel like very very like I am absolutely very very American um but I'm also like really in you know like I just I don't look quote-unquote white American you know like American you have this idea of it being like a Norman Rockwell like white you know Americana and I don't look like that and it's like okay so like where do I fit and I I feel like to America like when I go back to India it's like I don't want to wear American clothes because I don't want to feel like I'm standing out. Like I want to be a part of like the motherland, even though I didn't grow, you know, like I want to feel like I belong here because like, this is where I am from. Um, mm. And it's, it's so, it's so confusing. And I mean, I can't, I having, you know, like two parents who are in, you know, Indian and like knowing that's exactly where I come from, I think, grounds it in a way and makes that a little bit easier whereas I know like some of my friends who are half Asian you know having that you know like where your parents are of the same culture or grew up from because like, my mom and dad are from the same exact city like they mm -hmm. have like all of the same friends basically and a lot of the same experiences um so there's that kind of unity it's like I know where I come from um whereas I can imagine that being you know, much more confusing or like murky for somebody who is, who, whose parents don't come from the same culture. Mm -hmm. And like, I, how does that, I don't know, like it's, it's something that I don't think that we as Asian Americans or Asians talk about enough. Like we, I feel like a lot of times when we talk to half Asians, um, we obscure the fact that they're, you know, like ignore the non-Asian part of them or we're like oh we focus too much on the non-Asian part and we're like you're not Asian enough even though like we share a lot of the same experiences and I, mm. I don't know I think I just I don't know I don't even know where I'm going with this it's just like I, I think it's just so important to like talk more about it and how like 
I can relate to what you've experienced in a certain sense because of I'm Asian American, yet I can't relate to some of the things that you've experienced because like I have two, you know, like Asian parents, I guess. I think you're completely right. I think what I was, what I was experiencing, just like what any kid with immigrant parents experiences when they grow up in the U.S. um, is just the feeling of a clash of cultures. Like I, like I have a different, there's a lot of instances where I have a different set of values than my parents or um, like your friends are able to do other things. They have a different set of rules and what you think is normal and what they think is normal is really different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And it takes you a while to appreciate that the values that your parents like, and and that those really stuck with you. Like, I think that when you're, when you're a kid, you really notice the differences um, and you really notice the space between you and your, your family. Um, And I think like developing community later and thinking more about um, Asian American identity and developing community through art um, and talking with other Asian American folks um, was, was so helpful in realizing that I like I wasn't like, this was a, a super universal experience for any, any child of immigrant parents like like, yeah I think it was a little bit like I felt like maybe genetically (laughs) I wasn't and also I grew up in um like I did high school in New Hampshire um Mm -hmm. so I was one of the very few kids of color so I couldn't compare myself to like I didn't know that I didn't have a sense of community with other API folks um so I only had like the stereotypes of Asian American folks. Like I thought like maybe genetically I wasn't as smart as I was supposed to be or like just like insane things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so weird because there were, there were so many ways that I felt different than my family and I felt really American. Um, But in the spaces in high school, which now, like now I'm reflecting on them in my late twenties and I'm realizing how problematic um, my relationship with myself was. Um, but because, because it was in a, such a white space, um, I, I just, I used it as um, I used like that identity, the fact that I was like, I looked different um, and like just feeling out of place all the time. Like instead of, being quiet about it, I was louder about it. I yeah. hyper exoticized myself, um, and like was the first to say any sort of joke about API identity or like stereotypes and things like that. I think I was like, if I can joke about myself first, then I have control, yeah. and I'm not the butt of any joke because I've already made it. Yeah. Um, so that was just kind of the way. I think that too. I really? fully believe that. I like am very recently like realizing how much that has impacted my self-confidence because I was always like, I was like trying to be the court jester so nobody could say anything about me, but it was so mm-hmm. self-deprecating. Like I remember for so long, like after Bend It Like Beckham came out, I would 
like memorize the entire opening scene and like mm-hmm. accent and all like both British and Indian accent but I would totally just like perform it on cue for like anyone and I was like look at me like I'm cool and funny like let me be your friend and it is so shit like no movie but like to play into like the accent and use that as a joke or a way to like make yourself I don't yeah it's I totally relate to that it's weird and gross it's weird and gross okay I like I haven't met that many people who were like yeah I used to do that too but I think that's it's just a survival mechanism like yeah. the first thing when I moved I first moved to New Hampshire um, the first thing I heard at the bus stop was there's so many chinks moving into this neighborhood. Oh and my I'm God. Like, I kind of have to decide, like, you're like, who am I going to be? How am I going to survive? And high school in general, like I'm a high school yeah. art teacher. So I, <laughs> it's just hard. It's hard, man. Like, high school is hell. Yeah, it really is. It's so hard. You're so insecure. You don't really know who you are. And there's one thing about you that everybody instantly notices about you um you're sorry <laughs> I think somebody like walked by my apartment and <laughs> my dog is my alarm bell apparently <laughs> sorry you were saying yeah. um I just think that when you're you have you have something that everybody is already noticing about you instantly and you're very very aware of it it's it's kind of a choice like are you going to talk about it or are you going to let them talk about it yeah um, I don't know. Yeah. But super problematic for sure. Super problematic. I, I mean, I also grew up in a predominantly white town. Sorry. I can just, my dog, I just like see her tail, like walking behind me. Um, No, I, I also grew up in like a predominantly white town, like up in way Northern California. Um, we're like three hours North of San Francisco uh but like i feel like my experience felt a little ins- like i didn't feel so removed from an asian community because of the proximity of san francisco and like i mean 3 hours is a decent amount of time but it's still like pretty close and i can imagine being out in new hampshire you're like very very isolated from like a hub of asianness that like the bay area california is um, I mean, like, we were close to, like, Lowell, Mass, like, we're clo- we're actually, it's southern New Hampshire, so it's, like, it's, okay. like, strip mall, like, yeah, like, yeah, so it's, like, I don't, like, we could have found it, it's just, I don't know, we didn't, I don't know, my parents didn't seek it out, um, yeah. we didn't have, like, a church, or there wasn't really, like, a community thing, um, yeah. that we would go to, um, to create, to, to seek that out or to create it. Um, so it wasn't until way later in life that that happens. Do you think that like, because for uh, like for me growing up, we all of a sudden randomly ended up having a ton of Indians in Reading, uh, which was really cool because like we would celebrate Diwali at like the Elks Club, which was a hilarious, like just like it just was really funny all around. So uh, funny. Oh my gosh. I'm just, a great like, contrast. Picturing, yeah. I'm picturing yeah. the decor of like yeah. 
the only Elks Club I know, which is... Yeah. And then just, like, a bunch of Indian people celebrating Diwali. Um, but, and I think that was just, like, by virtue of people coming into, you know, like, coming into the community and just, like, many of them being doctors. So, like, all of the dads ending up working together. So you just, like, that community just finds itself, I think. Um, but... I don't know, when I talk to a lot of other, like my Asian friends it's seen, who didn't grow up in like, you know, a Bay Area or, a, you know, like a big city where there are a lot of people of color, um, it seems as if that community was, it was harder to seek out or where am I going with this? <laughs> I, I don't know. My question is, is like, do you think that like at, at some degree, like for our parents, like our immigrant parents, not seeking out community and like making those steps to find other you know Asian folks was a method of protection and like self-preservation I, I think it has to be yeah at some point um or also just I think that our parents um I think there was just like this feeling of we're here now um so we again yeah survival like yeah. we're here now so we should fit in um yeah because it feels like a lot of times like we're isolated like Asian communities are isolated from each other or like mm -hmm. Asians in general are isolated from each other unless you mm -hmm. have like you know a built-in reason to have community like the older generations it feels as if they're just isolated so like for you know like for us, for our generation, the millennials are just like, wait a second, <laughs> like we're now coming into our identities and we need to figure out a way to like explore that and express that and connect with other people. Like now we're like finding those communities and creating those communities that like didn't really exist or like that our parents were just kind of like, which obviously like no fault on our, like that's, I understand like why you wouldn't seek that out. But I think it's really interesting to see how, like, there is a tradition of, like, self-preservationist isolation, I guess, that yeah. still feels like it kind of, I don't know, pervades the way I think sometimes, where it's just like, oh, like, you know, like, you kind of feel that instinct to keep to yourself or, like, not talk to other people. You're just like, okay, I'll, like, keep it in, keep it in, even though mm -hmm. everything in your heart is like, wait, no, I need to connect with people. I need to figure out like what Asian American means. Right. Absolutely. I think it must have been like, it's hard to put your finger on it. Um, but I think that like just, just a million interactions a day that said that your culture isn't the norm and you need to change. Um, so, so feeling, yeah, feeling really isolated in that way. And also like maybe even kind of implicitly agreeing with it and being like, okay, outside, this is how I'm going to act. Um, so it, it, when you, when that's the message that America gives you, then it would be like completely, it would be like against that message to go find folks and then have like community and um, public public displays of your culture. Like it's, yeah. 
Um, so I think, yeah, my tr small microaggressions that like weren't yeah. checked at all in the eighties and nineties, um, had a huge effect on, on our parents. And then to feel really safe in the house. Um, like, I don't think my mother, like she never was like, I'm going to raise you like an American child. She was very like, These, this is what I think. This is what you're going to eat. Like she didn't change herself in the house. Um, so having the house be a place now, now I can see it was a place of safety and where you could express your culture. And I am really, really grateful for that too. But yeah, like, I think, I think it is like a self-preservation thing or even like, you don't really notice that it's what you're doing. But yeah. when, when the message is that you need to, when outside of your home, you need to act a certain way, then that might dissuade you from seeking community. Yeah. yeah. What was it like growing up with, um, you know, you're like being around your stepfather who grew up in like the, U you were saying he like spent, or he had been in the U.S. longer than your mom. What was that like, like culturally, like the difference between your mom and your stepfather? Mm. So my stepfather speaks Cantonese and yeah, he's from the Bronx. He's really quiet. Um, no, we've had a, like my, me and my stepfather have had more talks about identity than my mother. Um, I think, I think there was still like, I like, he absolutely still holds the same values that my mother holds and, um, had the same idea for, um, how children are supposed to act, um, and what jobs you're supposed to pursue and yeah. things like that. So the same, I felt like the same, they were like a united force on the same, yeah. like pressures that I was feeling. Um, when I lived with them, which is when I was an, a teenager. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like, they, they seemed, I don't think that there was a, a clash with them at all. Like, like between, between them, I didn't notice a lot of difference in culture. Um, yeah. Do you think that because, like you were saying, you and your stepfather have had, like, more conversations about identity, do you think, like, just because he spent more time in the U.S., like, from the Bronx and everything, that, like, that gave you kind of, like, a com a safe space or, like, a, not even a safe space, but kind of, like, you know, like, a space to explore that or, like, a comfort in knowing that, like, there's a level that you two could relate on and, like, that American side of it? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not until way later. I yeah. mean, um, yeah, I didn't, I don't know. I think I grew up with, like, me and my mom were just on our own for a a while um like I think like really important years um and then when we moved in with my stepfather um I think I was like that's when I just became super rebellious I think that there was also there were rules that were instilled after like that weren't like we could get away with it because we were like a non-traditional family um but then when we were a part of like like with a 
with like a patriarchal like I don't know like if with the yeah. patriarchy back or like <laughs> within the family structure yeah. there no, was no. Now yeah. a male figure and now yeah. like the, the the dynamic of the family especially like dictated by by Chinese Chinese culture um mm-hmm. was really different so like I had different roles um like I remember I was supposed to serve David his food and I was like, absolutely not. Like I was, I was 13 and I was like, that is not a new role that's going to happen. Like yeah. I will not, I don't even, I don't even know this guy. <laughs> like I didn't feel any sort of, and also my mother acted differently. Um, when there was like, it was just a different family structure. And so yeah. there was a way that in, in Chinese families that you, that you act and I think I think that new structure and the new pressures of having a new family structure mm-hmm. just completely threw me off. Um, yeah, and it took it took a really long time yeah. to connect with them about about issues of identity and things like that. So. Oh, for sure. I I was talking to my therapist. I like how it was just like in therapy. <laughs> I was talking to therapist, not just like casually over coffee, um, <laughs> but. I, she had talked, she said this thing where it's like, you're now discovering, you're going through all of these things in relation to your identity now, because for so long, for like the, what, 20 plus past years, you were so preoccupied with like surviving in a space that was saying that you didn't like belong in. So like- being Asian in a predominantly white space and then like being queer in like a heterosexual world that you know like trying to figure that out that takes up so much of your energy and then now like it's like 20 plus years later you're like oh like maybe I should like figure out what my identity is because you're (laughs) at this point where you don't you're not as like consumed with survive you know like having to survive like mm-hmm. and I think that was like really interesting you said that where you're like uh, I haven't really connected with you know my stepfather about identity issues until like you know later on and I think that's so interesting because it gives you I don't know when you when you're looking back at like all of the different things and you start connecting with like you know parental figures in your life and you're like wait like I want to know more about where I come from or your experiences, like how can we relate, I think is so like validating in a way. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's so like, I keep going back to, I, I love what your therapist said. I, I, that's a good therapist. Oh my gosh. I want to talk to your therapist too. <laughs> therapist is the best. I love her so much. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's so important that you're talking with your therapist about those issues. I feel like so, like, like we talked about, like, those, those years were so detrimental to how I saw myself, how I developed my confidence, um, just lasting, lasting damage, but we, we turned out fine, obviously. Yes. Yeah. We're great. We're good. Um, (laughs) to like switch gears a little bit um I'm curious about how your queer identity intersected with like your you know Asian American 
half Asian identity mm. formation? Yeah, um, I think that like I always knew that I was queer and all my friends always knew that I was queer. Um, and so that felt really nice. Like I felt really accepted in those ways yeah. um, by my peers. Um, and I feel really lucky that I never had to, I never, like, I never had to hide that part of my identity from them. Um, so I always felt, and, like, I felt very much, like, an artist. I was, like, very, I, I don't know. Like, those, those parts of my identity were really solid in high school. Um, and, yeah, but I felt like, it wasn't allowed um, and it wasn't even an option um, in the house. Um, so it took a really long time to come out to my mother and also, and also my stepfather and they took it like they almost didn't care. <laughs> it was I, <laughs> like, I really like so, so nervous my whole life. And like, I remember my mother asking me, um, if I was, she didn't say queer, but she was like, do you, like something like, do you like, do you like girls? And I was, I, I think I just lied to her. Um, but I, I just knew that she wouldn't, she wouldn't understand. Or I felt like, but I felt like that my whole life. Like I felt like that even just until last year, I felt like my mother just like, why would I cause her that stress? Um, but I, like, I really didn't give my mother enough credit. and. Um, realizing that like I need to I need to see my mother in a new way and like both of us have grown a lot since high school it was you know more than 10 years ago um so I don't like or yeah I I think I think giving my parents more credit um I think that so much of me had really solidified this view of them that um that they were really like you we look at our asian parents our immigrant parents in like this certain you're like they're conservative they are that you know like they're not going to be accepting of like x mm -hmm. y and z without like you know giving them a ch like i've had conversations mm -hmm. like i had a similar experience with my parents where mm -hmm. like they were so chill like i knew my mom was going to be like very chill about it for me it was more of like the fear of vocalizing it and then it becoming a real thing in the world mm. um but my parents were like so chill about it and <laughs> like we need to give our asian american par yeah. Our asian parents yeah our asian american parents more credit yeah. absolutely that's how i felt i was like i can't believe i didn't think that or like i thought she would explode or stop loving yeah. me like i don't know it's like, well, it's like so interesting because now when I look at it, it's like, why, what is this like, you know, conservative like image that I keep like assuming all Asian parents or immigrant parents have when it's mm -hmm. like, wait, the ideas of queerness and all of this, you know, just like a broad sense of queerness from heterosexuality or, you know, gender roles or just like Western culture is what they grew up in. Like, like, I know colonialism is like fully a thing, but 
when I look at, you know, like the art and the culture and like the religion that my, you know, parents, especially my mom was surrounded in, like it, she was, you know, like none of this is new. It's like, she has been exposed to all of this. She grew up in all of this. And like, to be like, oh yeah, you're not going to understand feels so like, like, where did I get that idea from? Like who put that Um, in me? Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, and then the other edge of that, or yeah, the other side of that is, is pushing them in ways, like when they are, cons- when they are that, when they are conservative or close-minded, how can you, how can you push them? I think a little part of me was like, I want, I want to push my mother. That's why I want to tell her. Um, I want her to like, know that like, to see queer people differently to see LGBTQ folks differently and to have like to realize that she has a really strong connection with me and that can be and then see the humanity in other people um yeah I think I think there is a lot of responsibility as well like um because there is so much like anti-blackness in especially in like in our parents generation um yeah like so giving them credit but also giving them credit enough to speak with them and push them um I feel like there's been a lot of work with a lot of conversations um with my parents um and I do I feel like I do feel like my mother has grown like I don't think I could have told her in high school and I I and now like I can see that yeah there is that well, I love that you said that, that like giving them credit enough to have a conversation and be like, and talk about, you know, problematic views or attitudes that they may hold instead of just being like, like how I was in high school where I was just like, no, that's like, you can't say that, that, you know, like shaming them for mm-hmm. saying or thinking certain things instead of being like, hey, like, I totally get that, like, I get where this is coming from and this is why it's not helpful. Um, Mm. I think that's like such an important, like, I love that you said that because I think we so often are like, no, that's wrong. Like you guys are stupid because you don't get like the internet or like you don't (laughs) get 21st century America. You're from like the third world country. And it's like, no. (laughs) I love that you said that because a little bit I sometimes I am like you can't say that sometimes I'm just like that I'm like definitely not but no you have to you have you also have to go into it with a lot of empathy like um it took me a long time to realize that like a lot of the feelings especially my stepfather who grew up in the Bronx like there was a lot of racial tension at that time Mm -hmm. and his feelings of anti-blackness are are steeped in PTSD so like when I have conversations with him like I have to remember that and and it's also really hard like it's hard when you don't know your parents very well on a personal level and I feel like that took a really like I didn't know my parent like I didn't know that about David until I started asking him questions and you really have to put in the work because I feel like it, it's hard it's hard they don't want to they won't want to talk about it at first <laughs> this might like sound okay so like for, <laughs> I don't even know how to even ask this question but I remember growing up and like even now when I'm watching tv I'm just like white kids have such great relationships where they're like they just like can talk to their parents about everything 
And it's like on in every single TV show I watch. It's just like, wow, like they just know their parents like so well and they have such great relationships. And I'm like, yeah, like I have a good relationship with my mom and my dad, but like, I don't know what the fuck they did. And, and like, I just don't really know them as human beings outside of like my parents, which exactly. is, it's so weird. Like, yeah. I, I mean, like, I know that like my parents experienced probably a shit ton of racism when they came to the United States, mm-hmm. but they don't talk, like, I just like don't know. And like, I don't even know how to like talk to it, you know? Like, you were saying your relationship with Dave, like, where you're, like, okay, like, these feelings of anti-Blackness are, like, from PTSD and growing up in the Bronx at that time. It's, like, I, I'm sure that, like, my parents have that same thing, but, like, I don't, I, like, don't know them, like, outside of my parents. Like, it's just such a weird concept to me. It's so true. I feel like that completely, I'm so glad you said that. Because, yeah, I remember watching TV and being like, oh, my God. I remember watching Gilmore Girls. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) And I remember being like, this is what mother-daughter relationships are like with white folks. Like, white white kids, they talk to their parents about everything. They talk to their parents about sex or, like, relationships or blah, blah, blah. I was like, this is not, like, this will never happen. (laughs) Yeah. I had that same thing where I was just like, wait, how do I, imp- like, my mom and I are close. Like, how can we be, like, Lorelai and Lori? <laughs> like, how can, I want to have that. And it's, like, <laughs> obviously, like, not all white families are like that. It's, like, a gross generalization. But, oh, um, like, there's just not, like, nothing even close to that. Like, I would always try to make it happen. And then, like, it just would, you know, it's like, I can't talk to my parents about dating in the way that I would love to, because they were in arranged marriage, and the culture of dating in India when they were growing up, not even close to what dating is like with Tinder, and, you know, like, it's it's not even close to the same, and so that, that was, it's yeah. so weird. I never thought about that as the reason, like, because it's just something they can't relate to. It's like, maybe they do, maybe, maybe they want to talk about dating, but they're like, I don't even know what you're doing right now. This looks nothing like, you know, how, how I tried explaining it to my mom once, because I was like, I love, like, Tinder Passport, because you can change your location. So I love to travel, and, like, sometimes I'm traveling by myself, and it's like, wait, I, you know, like, I'll switch it to the location that I'm going to. So, like, mm-hmm. I went to Israel earlier this year. So I, like, changed it to Tel Aviv. And it wasn't like I was, like, oh, yeah, like, I need to go, like, find somebody to hook up with. It was just like, wait, I just, like, want, a, you know, like, a social activity. And it was, like, somebody from Tel Aviv to show me around and, like, mm-hmm. have things to do outside of, like, the tourist stuff. And I was, like, trying to explain that to my mom. I was like, this is why Tinder is great. And, like, she just, like, could not, so she was, like, wait, what is happening? And I was, like, no, it's, like, I'm not, I literally had to say to her, I was, like, I'm not trying to, like, hook up with somebody. I was, like, oh, God, this, why am I having this conversation? <laughs> like, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was just, like, backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. I was, like, uh, <laughs> friends? Like, I'm just, what, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> I think, yeah, we're partially at fault. Like, I feel like I censor a lot around my parents, but, like, 
they, I don't like my mom wouldn't let me use tampons. Like, like there's, yeah. Like, because I don't know, I'm not sure totally, but it was like, we couldn't even talk. Like I had to buy tampons in secret. Like there, like there's so many things that like, let alone birth control. Like, so Yeah. yeah, no, it was just like no dating ever to now we do talk about it though it's really yeah now we do talk a little bit but I still censor myself completely oh yeah same same. (laughs) I think I'm like my mom does this thing where like she's totally fine with me being queer like that's not the issue I think it's just like the idea of me dating another like a human being right I just like think that she's just like weird about the concept of dating but I remember like if I brought up like you know a girlfriend or you know like somebody that I was dating she would always like if I was like having like in a rough patch with them and I would just like I need to talk to my mom and just like cry about it a little bit um she'd always be like make it a point to say that like not refer to them as my girlfriend, but be like, like any friend. And I'm like, mom. Yes. Oh no, my gosh. No, dating, like it's not, it's a different role. It was just, it drove, it still drives me insane. Cause I'm like, no, like I definitely also agree that no matter if it's romantic or platonic, like all relationships have a very common thread and you should treat them with like the same amount of respect. Mm-hmm. Right. Like just, different you know like right so I totally like believe that but also when your mom is just like friend I'm like bitch please like (laughs) I'm not going to like well yes I would like to marry my friend but it's like you're not going to refer to my wife as like my roommate right like what's (laughs) happening (laughs) or like I didn't know that other folks did that oh my god I didn't know that other parents did that yeah that is been a real thing and like I also am really bad at telling like everybody knows that I'm dating the person like everybody knows um and my my mother will still be like oh Crystal's friend is Crystal's friend coming is does Chris has Crystal's friend had enough to eat and things like that oh my god but but I'm also really bad about it so if like one other family member is like oh so like what's the relationship between you two I also am, like, really awkward about, about vocalizing it, like, I think I would, like, like, I text, like, my, my, really, like, my nucleus family, and I'm, like, okay, bringing a person, everybody knows we're dating, um, but, yeah, it, like, that is a real thing, Uh, but the growth, like, I have had to explain to partners, like, they were, like, why were you really weird, and, like, why didn't you say that we were dating in front of your family, I was, like, like, I'm going to text them later, but, like, most people know that we're dating. It's just, like, the growth is that, is that I, like, hesitated and, like, I don't know, like, like, it's weird. It's just, like, it doesn't matter what gender they are. It's honestly just, like, weird to talk to your parents about date, like, I just don't, like, yeah, I just have, just, it's weird. That's so funny. That's literally happened to me so many. But, like, we never talked about, like, me and my mom never talked about dating. So, like, we need these euphemisms to, like, to even, like, even though we both know what's happening, like, we still need these euphemisms to even, like, be like, okay, Crystal's dating this person. Um, It's so interesting because I also 
total like totally do I that. Think it's I'm also super funny because it's like in Asian families, like Asian cultures, there's such an emphasis on marriage, but mm-hmm. like a complete disregard for like everything that you know would result in a marriage right so it's just like get married but then like don't date (laughs) yeah no dating till you're married that is the rule (laughs) exactly yeah Um, no because that makes perfect sense (laughs) like my mom still doesn't let boys in my room and like oh my god it doesn't matter like like, in my room, in my house, like, in my parents' house, yeah. which I don't live in anymore, yeah. like, it, it's just so weird, like, the rules are so, like, even in, like, the, the most interesting contexts, it's, like, <laughs> okay, so I am super curious about how, because you had mentioned when you were in high school, you, you were very solid in your, like, queer identity, and then your identity as an artist, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I mean, like, your art is real. I'm, like, a huge fan of your art, obviously, as I fangirled out about Moon Eaters and what you're doing with that. Um, And also how I'm just, like, can we please collaborate on doing a print for other people to have and mainly also for me to, like, put up in my home. Um, I'm so flattered. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I mean, I would love to hear about how art helped you, like, how your relationship with art informs your relationship with your identity and that give and take. Because I know for me, like, I'm not an artist per se, like, you know, like in creating my own things, but every time I interact with a piece that somebody has created, like with Moon Eaters or things that like, you know, the portraits that Anne has been taking for the Gaijin project, there's been such a like powerful, you know, infusion of emotion and into those pieces that I think you can't find in like a written text or even in like a conversation about your you know you're not going to find that kind of like emotion and so I think it's like always so I don't know I feel like art for me has always been the most powerful way to see somebody's exploration of identity and also like experience your own exploration of identity definitely yeah I love that question um I have I don't know I don't even know how to approach it but art has been so important for allowing me to see myself in the way that I want to be seen um and figuring out what that means for me um it also like I think that there's a lot of, I think like maybe one of my more recent series was about um, feeling like body issues, um, feeling a lot of pressure from specifically my parents um, about like how much I weigh. Um, uh, Some of that on your Instagram, right? Recently? Yeah. Yeah. There's so, so I, I, the way that I got through that, there were just some days like, and I had never felt, felt like this until I think it was two years ago. Um, but like, I couldn't, I didn't want to go into public because I was so, I felt so negative about my body. Like it made me really, um, socially gave me social anxiety. Um, so having to, I like knowing that that was, just my brain it it wasn't like wasn't reality like I wasn't disgusting and people weren't like weren't 
thinking about um or like like you know it's it was just like standards that were not my own and like I, I needed to accept who what I looked like um so drawing was super therapeutic and um and do, I've been doing that with other women too who have told me like honestly just like in small conversations and things like that but if you have somebody draw your body or if you're drawing your own body um it's a way of looking in the mirror that is so it's it's a way that you never look in the mirror because there's always voices in the mirror there's always people who are saying oh you're not this enough you're not that enough and those are like societies mm-hmm. whatever beauty standards that we're putting on ourselves like that I wish this was different I wish that was different I don't like this about my body um so being able to look in the mirror and just be like I want to render this line really perfectly so it looks like what it is um it made me see like how how beautiful just like the collection of lines that can make up my body are um so I started doing um like because it like the the specific pressures on my body were really tied up with my family and also my API identity. Um, so starting to do um, like traditional calligraphy paintings, so ink paintings of those. Um, so that's like a really specific, like I wanted to take like the style of um, Chinese, Chinese painting, Chinese calligraphy painting and um, and use it as a, as a tool to, to see myself differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like now, I, like, I honestly think that that cured, not cured me. I mean, like you, your relationship with your body changes every day, but now I have a better idea. Like now I can, I don't know. I feel like I have a better relationship with my body, um, through that. Um, but just even through like self portraits and things like that, I do a lot of or I think I draw women that look like me. I feel like I'm always drawing women that that sort of resemble me. Like they always look different, but um, they're always some version of myself. And it's it's taking control over your image, especially when when for so long, like we've talked about, um, I felt really like my identity or how I was presenting myself was out of out of my control or it was hijacked by other people or it was dictated by like stereotypes and things like that so those were that was the language that I had to had to talk about myself yeah. so this is a new like visual language that you can you can really kind of start to see yourself um and I think I've, I've, I think Annie talks about this too like even just taking a selfie and like being like this is this is how I want to look today like or wearing your most confident outfit, like, there's such an infectious energy when, when somebody feels really good about themselves, um, and sees, like, is being seen the way they want to be seen, um, yeah, I I think art is, like, maybe one of the few ways, I'm sure, like, to put just any sort of self-expression, um, but even, like, conversations. Yeah, like absolutely. Identity and your image. Because, like, Asian cultures have been colonized forever. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, still, I think... I mean, we talked about this with Katie and Don B, about how, like, Asian iconography is still very much, col- you know, like, colonized by 
a Western streetwear kind of industry, mm-hmm. which is, like, very confusing because, like, those styles originate in Japan and Korea. Like, those, like, Japanese and Korean, like, streetwear are, like, leading the charge on how, like, fashion is interpreted in Western spaces, for sure. But then, like, the way it gets, like, like, I don't know, like, influences Western culture, it, like, influences us, and then we're just, like, you know, like, Western spaces are just, like, nope, now it's our, you know, like, take ownership over it in a very weird way, where it's, like, I see so, like, I went to Urban Outfitters the other day, and there was, like, this, I picked up, like, this pink long sleeve shirt, and I was, like, wow, I love this color, this, like, I would like to have this, and I, like, (laughs) unfolded it, and it just had, like, Korea on the back just like this picture of Korea on the back and then Korean writing down the sleeves and I was like oh my gosh I was like this is really dope but also who are the people like what I don't yeah who are they selling you who's buying it like what kind of orientalism are they like playing on yeah like no it's like those shirts need to be burned (laughs) I feel like so many like like so much Asian iconography in the world you know like in the zeitgeist right now um that you know it's so refreshing to see like asian artists like yourself being like no i'm gonna take ownership over my own image and like the image of my culture and i'm going to you know like i'm going to create that iconography and it's going to come from my voice and i'm going to like show the world how i want to be seen instead of having like the world see me as it wants to see me right absolutely yeah absolutely I think art is so powerful um it it art definitely reflects um a lot of the culture but it also has the power to change it um mm-hmm. and disrupting that that shit like the stereotypes and things like that like um I th- and there there really isn't I think this is another really important reason that we need API, femme, queer, like we need these identities um, making art, I, I think, and making podcasts and having these conversations um, because there just isn't a lot of it out there. Like it's getting better, but it's, it's still, it's still so few and far between yeah. um, where you really hear those voices in the mainstream media. Um, and especially like in art, you see a lot of Asian American women um, portrayed as like, like really, like really, like beautiful, pale, like kind of like very, I don't know, like tim- like timid, like yeah, yeah, submissive, yeah, absolutely, just like beautiful. Um, I I remember the first time it was like I don't know if you know her, um, this art um illustrator, her name's Helen Joe. Um, oh, but I remember the first, yeah, she's from the West Coast, I think. Like, I remember seeing her art for the first time, and it was just, honestly, it was just a- Asian Americans doing normal shit um, and smoking cigarettes. And, like, I, like, for some reason, that, like, I was like, I know that you're not supposed to be smoking cigarettes. And, like, I've never seen, like, I had literally never seen an Asian American woman portrayed smoking a cigarette and on a skateboard. Like, I'd, like, just never, it had, like, like just looking like a normal fucking teenager and it was so beautiful to me it completely changed it gave me such a huge amount of confidence I was like because like I 
was a high schooler that smoked Marlboro Reds as well. And like, I was just like, I, like, I just felt like there were, there was no one else that was doing that. I was yeah. like, I know who your parents are. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and for some reason, like just things like that, it was, it gave me the power to like, feel like, oh, like I can be Asian American and I can also like, I don't smoke cigarettes obviously <laughs> anymore. Um, but like, I can, I don't have to be, I don't have to be like submissive or timid or I don't know. It was just, it, I can be confident and a badass. She also has one of like eating, um, just eating cup of noodles. Um, and like, just like looking like, just like in an, in an abandoned something, just like, I don't know. It was like very Asian American. Like you could tell folks were Asian American. Um, but also like just being, just being normal. I love the celebration of that. Like the celebration of, being like a third culture kid like an Asian American kid where it's like you're celebrating the Asianness and the Americanness all at once and that exactly. neither is you know it's like neither is negating each other both are you know informing that person's identity which yeah. I mean like like you were saying like for so long I mean, I had this experience too, but like growing up, I felt like I had to be one or the other. Like I, I like had to always negotiate between which one I was being. And like, honestly, like even now I still have that issue where like there is a ton of internalized racism towards myself where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like I try to play up the Americanness, and it's like, I am more American than I am like, you know, this brown South Asian girl. Um and like that's still there that's like still a part of it but like you were saying when you see these artists and these creators creating images that are like yourself it's like oh like it creates that like implicit statement that yes you can exist like people you know like you can exist as you are like you are valid as you are and like you can take ownership in that and like that's that's cool yeah I think there was like I think I think I listened to a little bit of the podcast um, with Angry Asian Girls, um, but they were I think they were talking about um, um, just like Asians that that don't succeed, like creating oh, yeah. a or something. Yeah, Doc B was like, I just wanted like mediocre Asians or something. Yeah, that absolutely. Like I think that's hilarious. Like just like showing. I think that's so important, and I think I had like as a kid and even now, like having a fascination with seeing Asian women doing things that were a little bit bad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like you're not always following the rules. And though like, <laughs> or, I don't know, things like that has always been like, that made me feel more comfortable in my body. Like I felt like I had a lot of pressure to always be kind of like this perfect Asian girl and like, yeah. and have always have really good grades or always, I don't know, please my parents the in internal, certain like tiger mom it's like I have to do I have to be this because I am Asian right like I am an Asian woman so I need to like be excellent at all of these things and like if I am not then it's this like black it's like I've disowned myself right like (laughs) like I did not succeed in this one area I'm either gonna like kill myself to like succeed in it next time or I'm just gonna fully disown myself which not healthy at all but so I'm in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so many of us are. Yeah, I know. Like just uh, across the board, but yeah. definitely 
API folks for sure. There's so yeah, there's so much pressure. There's so so much pressure, and then like feeling like you've let yourself down or you've yeah. let your family down or yeah. yeah. I I I just yeah. The art I think is just so important because like you were saying like it we need more API fans creating things um, because we don't have that voice. That voice has always been the voice of API fans has been put onto us by non-API fans. So like either like API men um, or, you know, just men in general, like they're like, this is what you are. So we're just going to like slap that label onto you. And I think it's so cool to see like more API fans, like, I don't know. I mean, like, that's like the cool thing about the internet, right? Like about Instagram and like these spaces where you don't have to like, have access to a gallery because you have a gallery at your like fingertips and like yeah. you know the entire world can have at you know like can seemingly access it and like see those images and what I love so much about it is that like it is the API femme community portraying themselves as they want to be seen and it allows there to be this conversation with you know, other people outside of the community through those shared experiences, right? Like, like the teenager, like the Asian teenager, like smoking cigarettes on a skateboard. Like, yeah, like you're Asian, but so many like non-Asian kids have that like experience as well. And that shared experience, I think, creates like a broader sense of community outside, you know, like it helps us not feel so separate and so much more a part of like West, you know, American culture and not like, oh, we're <sighs> outside of it, I guess. Absolutely. I, like, I love that because I, I've always felt like othered and, and so much of me finding my identity now is like, how can I, how can we all embrace our identity as Asian Americans or, you know, whatever we are? Um, and still fit in society without having to change who we are. Like, how can we celebrate that and also be a part of, instead of like, you know, to the side because we're celebrating it or like diminishing parts of ourselves in order to fit into society. Right, that's so beautiful. That's so well put, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about it as much um, for other people reading it. It's not terrible. <laughs> I, didn't, I only You're thought so about so it. <laughs> I was like, only ABI fans will read this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, absolutely. It's all like, it's about, um, I think, I think the, the big thing that I would hope when other folks read um, Moon Eaters or anything or listen to your podcast, all of it, like, is just creating a more diverse understanding of of what it is to be Asian American um, and really, really creating, yeah, creating um, more nuanced understanding, more nuanced, like there are so many different ways to experience um, being Asian American. So what are the ways, yeah, what are the ways that it's similar and what are the ways um, yeah. that there's so much diversity within it? Um, but yeah, like shared humanity is huge too. Like finding, so, it's so important now. Like it's so, yeah, so important yeah. right now um, to find like those those areas of shared humanity where, where like the world is small and 
and through shared human experience, it feels so much smaller. And yeah. like making, being able to connect with any person on those, on those levels. Um, it's just so, it's so important right now. Just, and it's yeah. so cool to see like people finally like figure, you know, like, and I think like in specifically an Asian American sphere, like crazy rich Asians. And I don't know if you saw Searching, but like no. the John Cho movie, it's, <gasps> it's so, it's, it's like, it's a thriller. And like, I thought that it was going to be real. Sorry. I said that like weirdly because I'm scared of everything. So I no, was me too. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. Usually I wouldn't watch it, but you said, you said it. I oh yeah. When, <laughs> when it came out, I was like, I really want to see this movie, but I'm like, sca- like, I want to see it to support it, but I'm also like really scared. So I like, don't want to see it. And I like, don't know how to like, how do I support it? <laughs> <I'm so scared laughs> I've been having nightmares for years. Um, but I finally did see it. Um, and it, it's really, it's, it's like Crazy Rich Asians. It's like the Asian aspect of it. The fact that John Cho, you know, like that his daughter is Asian and he is Asian is just incidental. It's like there. It's an identity just like any other identity. And I, and the movie isn't an Asian American movie. It's not an Asian movie. It's just a thriller. It's an yeah. indie Sundance thriller that is like as pretentious as any other indie. You know, it's not pretentious, right. but like, you know, it's, it's like any other indie Sundance movie, right? Yeah. No, it's just that's huge. That's yeah. like the difference um, between like, yeah, like who is the audience? Like, are we are we showing our identity to a white audience, and we're like, this is who we are, and like, are we trying to entertain them? Is it like that's the whole thing with like black exploitation? black exploitation um from the 70s as well like who is who who are we trying to entertain who is it for um and yeah like when when can we get to the point in our culture when we just have movies Mm -hmm. where folks are of color and it's about their experience or yeah it's it I feel like Crazy Rich Asians did like a really great job of that where it was just Mm -hmm. like I think by virtue of the fact that it was a romantic comedy and we all love rom-coms, right? Mm -hmm. And it like, like there's so many, like, yeah, the shared human experience is we've all been in situations of meet the parents and like, it doesn't matter what the culture is. I think like the culture just adds nuance and we can celebrate like, you know, the nuanced aspect of being a insanely wealthy Singaporean Chinese family right? Um, But like the core of it, of like meeting the parents, of having to impress, you know, like a very strict mom or whatever is a universal aspect that like Mm -hmm. so many of us can understand. And like that, I mean, like, I love that. It's like a first step, right? But like, it's such a cool way to be like, oh yeah, like it's, it's, this is rad rom-com that was like the most successful romantic comedy in the past decade, right? right? And it, it's not, people aren't describing it as, like, that Asian movie. It's not, like, this right. niche film. And I, mm-hmm. I, and it was created by, I don't know, like, the whole point, I mean, I loved it so much, and I, I love the idea of, like, Asian hands and Asian creators making something in, you know, our own image, mm-hmm. and it being seen by such a wide, you know, like, <sighs> allowing us to be seen as we want to be seen. And, right. and whether that be, like, 
you know, exactly as Crystal wants to be seen or just like a broad, like, this is aspects of my experience that I want to be seen being seen. I think it's still like so important to have that, to have that aspect out there. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I can see, like, I think I was just reading an article this morning. Um, I love the movie Moonlight and yeah, just like, it's not like it is about, um, about the experience of being black and that like, but it's, it's not, like it's not explaining like their identity or anything it's just like this is an interaction that's happening these this is a really strong relationship that's happening between two black men or two men that just happen to be black and that is is coloring their experience um and then like and then comparing that to um happy together which also was was to have you seen that movie so to a yeah, two Asian men that fall in love in Argentina. Um, and I didn't know this, but um, the the director of Moonlight had a scene that, that was a, a, a direct homage, homage to um, a scene in Happy Together. And he wanted people to make that connection. He wanted people to to see how how close human experience can be, even like worlds away, thousands of miles away. Um, and the the ways that we that's amazing i'm like tearing up a little (laughs) i I honestly like it sounds so like i don't know i don't even know if it's cliche but i just think that that that's what's so powerful in art and like creating things and you know creating something in our own image and in our own voice that Mm -hmm. is how we want to be seen but still like i don't know open to the interpretation of others um where you know like somebody who's looking at you know a piece of art that you've created can see clearly what you're trying to you say and depict and also still have the space to put their own experience onto it and like connect you know like interact with it in that way I think is what I love so much about art I love art (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. (laughs) The last thing I wanted to say is thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad we finally got to do all of this. Um, Thank you for all of the work that you're doing. And um, before you leave, if you could give a shout out to a Bayesian of the week. So somebody in the community um, that is inspiring you or, you know, anything. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. I think um, I just hung out with my co, like my coworker, my co-founder or the co-founder of Moon Eaters, um, Eileen, and we were tabling at an event at the Powered Center, which is in Chinatown, um, and it was a beautiful poetry sort of gathering um I think I'm I'm so um in awe of of the people who are hi (laughs) um who are writing um and being vulnerable um with their writing um 
and creating and working to create community um, in, in physical spaces around Boston because um, not enough of that work is being done um, and just facilitating conversations like how you're doing um, or yeah across the country um, yeah I think I don't know I guess I didn't even answer that maybe I mean, I mean. <laughs> so like the poets who organized it yeah. um Eileen for being Eileen <laughs> for showing me chopped and screwed music <laughs> last night and a really amazing Frank Ocean um remix I don't know um or my mom yeah I don't know I don't know what to say there's so many people they're doing such good work everybody's just <laughs> <laughs> more mediocrity i want a vlog oh with mediocre asians because so i just don't know that all asians stop doing things yeah absolutely because i'm just always i'm like always super energized always yeah. feeling really inspired and i'm like where where are the mediocre folks I at? Be like a mediocre stoner who's just doing nothing and doesn't feel any need to do anything else <laughs> I haven't seen them, man. Yeah, I don't know where they're at. I don't know where they're hiding. I guess we just have to be unmediocre Asians and create that space for ourselves. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, Wait, be mediocre Asians and create the space? Or, or be unmediocre Asians and create the space for mediocre Asians. Ooh. Oh my gosh, that would be such a catch for too. That we can underachieve. What we're doing. It's like no dating until marriage. Same difference. It's like we just deal in oxymorons, I guess. That's the Asian American identity. Oxymoronic culture. <laughs> um, well, Crystal, I love you and thank you. Thank out. you so much, Maya. This was amazing. Thank um, you so much. You're 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 always my Bayesian of the week, but I didn't want to up, but, but you are you're always <laughs> I'm doing it now anyways so <laughs> yeah, you're creating community like I'm talking about folks who are creating it in Boston but you're doing it all over the country and that's really really it's really awesome mm -hmm. you're such you're so cool <laughs> well so I love you and we will talk soon I know you have to go so I will, I will stop stop talking <laughs> so you can leave uh but thank you so much and yeah Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day. Bye.